Hi everyone, welcome back to the History in 20 podcast, hope you're all okay. Been a while since the last one I know, but uh, I've been pretty busy starting a new job and stuff, so yeah, anyway, let's get on with it. So this one is another American history one, and we are looking at the American Civil War, also known as the US Civil War, from 1861-65. And this is a special request from Becky, so thanks very much Becky, hope you enjoy this one. So, a brief overview. The dates are from the 12th of April 1861 to the 9th of May 1865. And the location is, obviously, the USA, with the belligerents being the United States of America, the USA, and the Confederate States of America, CSA, which I'll explain in a little bit. So, if you've heard of it, you've probably heard of some key figures, uh, including Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, amongst others, but they're some of the names that we'll be talking about throughout this. Uh, the outcome then was a Union victory, the dissolution of the Confederate States, the abolition of slavery, the beginning of the Reconstruction Era, and the US territorial integrity was preserved, amongst other things as well. So, casualties were estimates of around 828,000 on the Union side and 864,000 on the Confederate side, with deaths ranging between 600,000 and a million in total. So, quick little introduction, it was basically the most important thing to note is the North versus South argument in the USA. So, the US was divided uh, economically, socially, politically, North versus South. So, federal versus state government, slave state versus free state, and urban versus rural. And the North was much more urbanised than the South, and for the most part had outlawed slavery, hence the idea of these free states where people were free, essentially, in inverted commas, they weren't slaves. So, in fairness, there had been a huge influx of European migrants coming to the north of the US states, like New York, and slavery had been outlawed in Europe from where these migrants were coming from for many years. But in the south, their economy was a largely agrarian economy, meaning that, for them, slavery was economically viable and just part of their way of life. So many actually viewed slavery as part of the natural pattern of life in the southern states. Uh, but the main question is what caused such divisions in America that in the end 11 states seceded from the Union and formed the Confederacy? Now multiple reasons can be cited for this but I've simply chosen a few that I think are the most important or significant to discuss below. So we'll actually go way further back than the start of the conflict in 1861, we'll go right back to 1803. So why 1803? Well, something called the Louisiana Purchase, the American acquisition of French territory on American soil for approximately $15 million, which worked out about $18 per square mile, because it was 828,000 square miles in total. Quick maths. <laughs> uh, now, by purchasing this amount of land, the doctrine of manifest destiny was drilled into the Americans' mindset, as in it was their God-given right and duty to expand westwards into this new territory. So, obviously, with this Louisiana Purchase, the U.S. had doubled in size. Now, thousands of Americans did migrate into this te territory, but nowhere attracted Americans more so than Texas, which was still technically in Mexican territory at this time. And in 1836, the Texans declared independence from Mexico, and by 1845, the area was annexed and admitted to statehood. So, in other words, Texas officially became an American state, and this drew resentment from those who passionately resisted the addition of another slave state in America. So, the US declared war on Mexico on the 13th of May 1846, 
and after two years of fighting, the US won, and Mexico ceded all claims to Texas above the Rio Grande boundary, great film, uh, and also surrendered California and New Mexico, which were two other Mexican provinces. Now, the issue of slavery had already arisen here and led to the next chapter of the beginning of the US Civil War. So this leads us on to the, what I've coined as the decade of turbulence, the 1850s. So we'll start in 1850 in what's called the Compromise of 1850. So, with these newly acquired territories from Mexico, that's California, New Mexico and Arizona by this point, came the argument of slave states versus free states. So as I mentioned earlier, slave states being states where slavery was legal and free states being states where it was not legal. So David Wilmot, who was a congressman from Pennsylvania in the north, argued that any territory acquired from Mexico should not permit slavery. On the other hand, Jefferson Davis, who was a senator from Mississippi in the South, said that the new territory should be comprised of slave states because they were in the south of the US. Now, Stephen Douglas, who was a lawyer from Illinois, which is sort of in the north, came up with the idea of popular sovereignty, that states should be allowed to decide for themselves. Now, these arguments culminated in what was known as the Compromise of 1850, which gave statehood to California as a free state, allowing the new territories in the south to decide whether or not they wanted to allow slavery, so popular sovereignty. It also implemented the new and controversial fugitive slave law, and this was whereby anyone in any state, even if it was a free state, had to hand back escaped slaves to their masters, and this effectively meant that the northern states, who were largely free states, had to play a role in man maintaining slavery, in which many vehemently opposed. So therefore, an anti-slavery movement based on abolishing slavery grew throughout the 1850s in the north, and this was called abolitionism. So the next stop is the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854. So why was this significant? Well, this opened up large-scale settlement and migration to states whose position on slavery will be decided as a result of popular sovereignty. And this culminated in an event known as Bleeding Kansas, where members of anti-slavery and pro-slavery factions attacked each other. So now we're building up to the war a bit more. So from in well in, in 1856, the pro-slavery president at the time, a guy called James Buchanan, he was of the Democratic Party. He ran for re-election and he won. And the reason this election is significant because he ran against a brand new, newly formed anti-slavery party called the Republican Party. So this is why the Republican Party was formed. Now, for the most part, the Republican Party had gained a lot of ground and support in the North. So a year later, in 1857, this brought about the Dred Scott case, which went to the Supreme Court. Now, Dred Scott was a slave who was taken by his master to Illinois, a free state. Scott argued that he was therefore free, but the court ruled against him, essentially citing that black people, whether they were slaves or not, were not classed as US citizens at all. Now, obviously, tensions kept arising into 1858, and it was at this point that the Republican Party put forward an unknown candidate called Abraham Lincoln against Stephen Douglas, and they both took part in a series of debates which made Lincoln well-known around the country. So, in the forerun into the 1860 elections, the Republicans nominated Abraham Lincoln as their presidential candidate, but the Democrats were still divided at this time. In the South, and the slave states, they nominated the current vice president, a guy called John Breckinridge, while in the North, they chose Stephen Douglas. Anyway, Lincoln ultimately won the election, and as an outspoken abolitionist, many in the South feared what he'd do next. 
However, Lincoln set out to be moderate and he promised not to interfere with slavery in the existing slave states, but the damage had already been done throughout his tours across the country on the staunch abolitionist views. So before he'd even taken office, South Carolina seceded from the United States, and by February 1861, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas had also joined South Carolina in forming what was known as the Confederate States of America, as I mentioned earlier on, the CSA, under the presidency of Jefferson Davis. So we're just about at the early years of war, 1861. So, in April 1861, South Carolina demanded that federal troops which were stationed in South Carolina had to evacuate because they were now an independent state. They were a Confederate state, not part of the Union. So, the federal government refused and they maintained their garrison at a place called Fort Sumter. And then, in the early hours of the 12th of April 1861, sometime just after 4.30am, the Confederate States Navy bombarded the fort and captured it the next day, thereby starting the US Civil War. So although nobody was killed at Fort Sumter, Lincoln immediately called for 75,000 troops and a multitude of northerners rallied to his cause. So his appeal for troops caused four more states to secede between April and June. Virginia on the 17th of April, Arkansas on the 6th of May, North Carolina on the 20th of May and Tennessee on the 8th of June, which brought the Confederacy to a total of 11 states. And you'll be able to see from the map there, those states coloured in, and that's called the Confederate flag. You might have seen that around some of these sort of extreme right-wing rallies and stuff. That's the Confederate flag, uh, which these states used. So within these 11 states, they had a combined population of 9 million people, including 3.5 million slaves. And the Union, on the other hand, at this point, consisted of 22 states, with a population of about 22 million people, about 500,000 whom were slaves. Because not all states in the Union were free states, just the majority of them were. So in addition to the North-South divide, there were also four border states, and these border states were the states who, although they remained in the Union, thousands of men within them fought within the Confederacy, and these states were, as you can guess, on the border of the Union and the Confederacy, and they were Maryland, Delaware, Kentucky, and Missouri. So in some cases, brothers in the same family fought on opposite sides, including Senator Crittenden of Kentucky. Now, one of his sons rose to be a general in the Union Army, while the other rose to be a general in the Confederate Army. However, both the Union and the Confederacy actually had more in common than initially appeared. They both referred to the Declaration of Independence, which was the document 4th of July 1776, to justify their causes. For the Union, they referred to the All Men Are Created Equal section, interpreting this as nobody should be, should be subjected to slavery. On the other hand, the Confederacy referred to the section claiming the right to abolish or alter unjust government. In their view, the government intervening in their now independent states, trying to abolish slavery, their way of life, was reason enough for them to refer to this. So the first fielded battle of the US Civil War was called the First Battle of Bull Run, sometimes referred to as First Manassas in the South, and this was on the 21st of July 1861. 35,000 Confederate soldiers under the command of Thomas Stonewall Jackson forced a much larger number of Union forces to retreat back towards Washington DC. Now the realisation dawned upon the Union that any hope of a quick conflict was soon gone to ground, and it even led Lincoln to call for 500,000 more troops. Even the Confederate states called for more, as they also realised the war would not be over any time soon. So, perhaps the most violent year of the US Civil War was 1862. 
So in the spring, George B. McClellan, who was the supreme commander of the Union Army, led his army of the Potomac up the peninsula between the York River and the James River and captured Yorktown, which was in Virginia, on the 4th of May. So less than two months later, the combined force of Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee successfully drove back McClellan's forces in the Seven Days Battles, which was from the 25th of June to the 1st of July, seven days, obviously, and McClellan called for more troops. Then in the summer of 1862, General Robert E. Lee moved his Confederate forces northwards and split his men, sending Stonewall Jackson to meet Union forces near Manassas again. So on the 29th of August, Union troops led by John Pope met with Jackson's forces in the Second Battle of Bull Run, Second Manassas, and then the following day, Lee, with the other half of his Confederate forces, hit the Union army on their left flank and once again succeeded in driving the Union forces back to Washington, D.C., So this marks the point when Lee began a series of invasions into the Union states. But by the 14th of September, McClellan had successfully reorganised his army and struck at Lee's forces in Maryland, one of the border states, and at this time it was the Union's turn to drive the Confederate forces back to a defensive position at Antietam. Now this ultimately led to the bloodiest day of fighting of the whole Civil War, the Battle of Antietam, and this is where the Army of the Potomac hit Lee's forces, which were reinforced by Jackson's, in a huge pitched battle, and there are estimates of 12,410 casualties from the 69,000 Union troops, and 13,724 casualties from the 52,000 Confederate troops. However, at the cost of over 12,000 lives, the Union victory at Antietam proved decisive because it halted the Confederate advance into Maryland and it also forced Lee to retreat into Virginia. Now, McClellan was relieved of his duties after this in Lincoln's mind because he failed to pursue his advantage and he was replaced by a guy called Ambrose E. Burnside. So Burnside then led an assault on Lee's troops near Fredericksburg on the 13th of December, but this ended in heavy casualties as well and a Union victory, and he was soon replaced by Joseph, Fighting Joe, Hooker, and both armies then settled into winter quarters on opposite sides of the Rappahannock River. So we'll fast forward to 1863, excuse me, and the Emancipation Proclamation. So Lincoln had used this Union victory at Antietam to issue a preliminary Emancipation Proclamation, which freed all enslaved people in the rebellious states after the 1st of January, New Year's Day, 1863. Now, Lincoln justified this decision as a wartime measure, but didn't go so far as to free the enslaved people in the border states loyal to the Union. So, the Emancipation Proclamation deprived the Confederacy of the bulk of its labour forces and pitted international public opinion against them and in favour of the Union. In fact, around 186,000 black Civil War soldiers joined the Union Army by the time the war ended in 1865. So on the 1st of May 1863, plans for a Union offensive were spoiled by a surprise attack by the bulk of Lee's forces, whereupon Hooker pulled his men back to Chancellorsville. The Confederates gained a costly victory in the Battle of Chancellorsville, and they suffered round about 13,000 casualties, which was about 22% of their soldiers, while the Union lost 17,000 men, around 15% of their troops. Lee then launched another invasion of the North the following month, which culminated in the Confederates attacking the forces commanded by General George Meade on the 1st of July near Gettysburg in southern Pennsylvania. So in the Battle of Gettysburg, the Confederates were unable to push through the Union defence and suffered casualties of close to 60% of their forces. 
However, once again, the Union failed to capitalise on this opportunity to counterattack, and Lee's remaining forces were able to escape into Virginia, ending the last Confederate invasion of the North. So the Union forces under Ulysses S. Grant, who you might have heard of him because he later went on to become a president of the US, they took Vicksburg, which was in Mississippi, in the siege of Vicksburg, obviously, in a victory that would prove to be the turning point of the war in the Western Theatre. However, a Confederate victory at Chickamauga, Chickamauga Creek in Georgia, let me know if I pronounced that wrong, just south of Chattanooga in Tennessee in September 1863, caused Lincoln to expand Grant's command, and he led a reinforced Federal army, including two corps from the Army of the Potomac, to victory in the Battle of Chattanooga in late November. So, Battle of Gettysburg, that meant the Gettysburg Address. So, on the 19th of November, 1863, Lincoln delivered the famous Gettysburg Address, which you might have heard of it because it opened with the line, four score and seven years ago, which was, of course, in reference to the Declaration of Independence in 1776. And Lincoln once again referred to the principle that the US was a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal adding that the Civil War was a test that would determine whether such a nation could endure, and it was a particularly moving speech and motivated those who supported him. So we're eventually moving on to the end of the war, now coming into 1864. So it finally seemed as if Lee had met his match in Grant. Now the Battle of the Wilderness and the Battle of Spotsylvania in Courthouse, in Spotsylvania Courthouse sorry, in May 1864 were both bloody conflicts but very indecisive and the Battle of Cold Harbour in Richmond, just off Virginia, in June 1864, brought the Union one of its worst defeats. So in a single hour, 6,000 Union soldiers were killed. And in the course of one month, Grant's campaigns had cost the Union 50,000 soldiers. So by September, General Sherman had captured the Georgian state capital of Atlanta, which foreshadowed the end of the succession of Georgia, and created another partition in the Confederacy. Obviously, Mississippi had been parted, now Georgia was as well, so it was slowly splitting up. Lincoln was re-elected in November, defeating the Democratic candidate George McClellan. So at the turn of the year in 1865, it was a Union victory in all but name. So Columbia and Charleston in South Carolina fell to Sherman's men by mid-February, and Jefferson Davis belatedly handed over the Supreme Command to General Lee. Lee's forces made one final attempt to attack and captured the Federal-controlled Fort Stedman on the 25th of March. An immediate counterattack reversed the victory, and on the night of the 2nd to the 3rd of April, Lee's forces evacuated Richmond. Grant pursued the Confederates along the Appomattox River, finally exhausting their possibilities for escape. So Grant accepted Lee's surrender at Appo Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia on the 9th of April 1865. However, the Union victory was soon put on a downer when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated by a Confederate sympathiser called John Wilkes Booth in Ford's Theatre in Washington DC on the 14th of April 1865. Now after Lee's surrender, secession was no longer an option in American politics. So on the 4th of May, all of the remaining Confederate forces in Alabama and Mississippi had also surrendered. And on the 9th of May, 1865, the new president, who was uh, Abraham Lincoln's vice president, a guy called Andrew Johnson, he officially declared an end to the US Civil War. So what happened after? This was known as the Reconstruction Period, and this is sort of from 1865 to 77. I won't go on too long about this, because I'm conscious of the time, but might get a brief idea anyway. So approximately 620,000 soldiers and up to a million citizens had lost their lives in the US Civil War. And it is, to date, the bloodiest conflict ever fought on American soil. 
However, the main question posing problems for the US government was how to recover from four years of civil war, and this ushered in was what was known as the Reconstruction Era, essentially the rebuilding of the South as much as it had been destroyed. Farms and plantations had been burnt down and many people also been using Confederate money, which is now rendered worthless. So Lincoln had planned to be lenient on the South and make it easy for them to rejoin the Union, adding that if 10% of the voters in an ex-Confederate state supported the Union, then that state could be readmitted to the Union. Obviously this meant that slavery had to be made illegal as part of their constitution. However, because of his assassination at the end of the Civil War, Lincoln's plans never actually went through. His successor, President Andrew Johnson, who was a southerner himself from Raleigh in North Carolina, wanted to be more lenient to the South, but Congress disagreed and eventually passed harsher laws than both of them had put together. So to help with the Reconstruction, three new amendments were added to the US Constitution for the first time in 60 years. And these were the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendments, and these are commonly known as the Civil War Amendments. So the 13th Amendment, which passed in 1865, outlawed slavery completely and gave Congress the power to enforce the article through legislation. The 14th Amendment, which was passed in 1868, stated that black people were citizens of the United States, thereby overruling the Dred Scott case from 1857. And the 15th Amendment, which was passed in 1870, prohibited governments from denying US citizens the right to vote based on their race or colour. Now this sounds good from the outset and very progressive for the 1870s, but things like poll taxes and literacy tests blocked many black citizens from voting. So the 15th Amendment wasn't actually as good as it seems on the outset. There were still a lot of ways people attempted to stop black people from voting. So eventually all 11 Confederate states were readmitted to the Union, Tennessee being the first in 1866 and Georgia being the last in 1870. But it was years before the economy in the South fully recovered. But the point was that the US states, well the US was united, or as united as it could fathom to be once more. The Reconstruction Era officially ended under the presidency of Rutherford B. Hayes in 1877. He removed federal troops from the South and state governments took over once again. Unfortunately, this meant that the majority of the changes to equal rights were immediately reversed and why we still had the civil rights movement pushing right up until the, eight, the 1960s. So that's why it wasn't all sort of sorted then, but that, that's a whole different topic in itself. So, in conclusion, the US Civil War was one of the most significant events in US history, from the abolition of slavery to the, inverted commas, right for, uh, sorry about that, phone going, uh, black citizens to vote in the space of seven years is an incredible achievement to behold, given the circumstances and attitudes at the time. Now, the late author, Shelby Foote, said in his book, The Civil War, A Narrative, he said, The Civil War defined the US as what we are, and it opened us to being what we became, good and bad things. It was the crossroads of our being, and it was a hell of a crossroads. And I think that's the best way to sum it up there. So I hope you enjoyed that one. It's not something I normally do in American history. Um, I find it quite difficult, to be honest. I'm not uh, big on it, but hopefully that gives you a good overview of the American Civil War, and I hope you enjoyed that one. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.